Okay, uh, welcome to this, the second of the Opening Up podcasts. Today I've got with me England cricketers Kate Cross and Alex Hartley, so thanks to you both for joining me. No problem, no problem. Okay, um, now this would be a little bit different to the last one because when I interviewed Jonathan Northcroft last time, it was over the phone on Skype and uh, there was all kinds of problems with the sound and our voices, so hopefully because we're in the same room here that we won't have that. Um, but we never know. Yeah. Okay. We've had a couple of little tries with the with the app and so on. Now, the purpose of these podcasts is not for me to sit and interview people necessarily, but to have a bit of a chat about the three things that we're interested in with a project. That's sports, cricket in particular, fitness, uh, and and mental health and mental fitness as well. But I think what we'll have to start with is. Um, because we generally, when people, I suppose, automatically think of cricket, we think of the men's game. But with women's cricket being, I think, if I'm right in saying this, the quickest growing sport in the country, and we're fresh off the successes there, um, more and more, hopefully, young young girls are, are choosing cricket as a sport. But for you two being a little bit older... Um, what are you trying as, to say? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> not, quite, not quite as old as I'm not as quite me. as old as Kate. <laughs> um, it might not have been something that was perhaps an automatic choice for you two when you started. So if I start with you, Kate, what was it that got you into cricket to begin with? Um, I think we've probably got a very oh, a little bit of a similar story, but it was my um, dad and my brother that got me into cricket. It was the sport that... Well, my dad was a footballer, but it was the sport that my brother predominantly played. Um, and I just remember playing it for hours and hours and hours in my back garden. Um, me and my sister and so in that sense it probably was a sport I mean I played netball as well which is the girl sport of the mm-hmm. two but um, yeah I just I just remember my entire childhood being spent down at, at Hayward Cricket Club um, I know you were a little bit different because your dad didn't play did he? No yeah none of my family have ever played so it was uh, the lads around the corner who used to play football so I played football and they went up to the cricket club so I followed them and off I went as well but yeah same as Crossy like I spent hours and hours at the cricket club and uh, never looked back Okay, yeah. Um, I suppose it, whatever it is, it always needs someone to introduce them to yeah. to a sport. And even though cricket is played in big numbers, it's not for, for I suppose either gender that maybe the sport that would be automatic unless there's some kind of push for it there. Um, now we've had a little bit of a, a, a chat through the project uh, about this next kind of question with you, Kate, when Chris spoke to you for the website. Um, Based on that similar kind of thing, what kind of obstacles have been in place? Because I'd imagine when you started playing, it would have been, in fact, I know this, it was that you would have been playing in what would have been boys' teams, and there's not, there wasn't perhaps the, the setup like there is now for girls' and women's cricket. So, what would you have thought of their of obstacles that were in place for you progressing and playing the game? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. There was just, I think my closest women's team when I was a youngster was Sheffield. So obviously relying on my mum and dad to take me over for home matches in Sheffield was a bit harsh on them. But it's funny because when I look back on it, I, I never see that as an obstacle because I just played boys cricket. Um, and I, I, I'm sure you'll be the same, but we I always found that I got picked on merit playing in boys teams and that then wasn't an obstacle for me. It wasn't that they picked me because they had to have a quota of girls in the teams or anything like that. It was that I went down and trained and I was good enough to be in that starting eleven. Um, but it it was difficult in that when you wanted to play county cricket, they insisted that you played for a girls' team as well, which is something that I struggled with because, in fact, we even set up a girls' team in Reading, yeah, we which did, is yeah. your cricket club. Um, but that it was so difficult to keep that going. I think it folded after a couple of years, didn't it? Um, after we had to have my mum play in a couple of games, <laughs> <she really turned laughs> it didn't out, last yeah. too long. Um, yeah, but 
I mean, me and Alex are very... I think, going back to what you were talking about earlier about someone getting you into cricket, our generation of cricket, so I'm 25 now, you'll find that it was all the male side of, of the family that got people... And we kind of want it to get to a point where it was the aunties and the sisters mm. and the mums that got the kids into cricket. That's one of kind of like our England goals that we talk about all the time is gener- um, inspiring that generation. But I've completely lost my train of thought there. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, it's all good. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> if we go to you then, Alex, um, I don't know if that there's slight age difference make, has made things a bit easier for you. Perhaps it's been a little bit more embedded or would it would there have been the same kind of issues for you? It was it was more or less the same for me, but because I started playing a couple of years after Kate that I didn't I didn't have to play women's cricket because I think they realised that travelling to Sheffield was probably a little bit too hard mm-hmm. for parents to take, you know, these 13, 14-year-old girls over to play cricket. So um, Lancashire were happy with me just playing boys' cricket and throughout the age groups I just played on a Wednesday night with, like, the under-15s and the 17s lads. I remember what I was going to say. Um, so me and Alex are, like, very similar personality types and that we are competitive, so... I don't know about you, but I always kind of wanted to play in the boys' teams because I wanted to prove to people that girls were good enough to be involved mm-hmm. in that. Yeah, and yeah. there was always talk, like, yeah. like, how many times did you get last out? Don't get it now. Yeah, like, we both play men's cricket on in club club cricket now, and you still always get the, oh, they've got a girl playing for. Yeah. But it is, it is, I, think, I don't think you'll ever lose that because you do stand out. Yeah, I mean, I, I found this difficult because... Um, having had a greater awareness of, of women's cricket for one reason or another... Um, it would it would be that you do you become, perhaps become more aware that there's there's girls and women playing cricket, but there is still from this male perspective that for, say for example you get back to your club and someone's played in the game against a, against a female and it would people some people are still talking that John or whoever got out, got to, out a to a girl. And I, even in a relatively short space, I remember playing a game when I was 18 and I was playing against... A, there, was a, there was two girls in this team, actually. And their own team was saying to me as I was batting, it's like, oh, you don't want to get out to a girl, do you? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. well, I don't want to get out full stop, really. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think I, I hit... And for anyone who's listening who's ever played cricket with me, they, they won't believe this story. I hit a six, <laughs> uh, which you know, went a reasonable distance. And the stick I got off that, it was like I'd, you know, I'd hit her or something like that. And I was just thinking, to be honest with you, that made me think even at that age, well, to be honest, it, this is still someone just bowling to me, yeah. and, and yeah. etc. Um, so, yeah, that kind of... And, I, and people don't like it if you say to them, well, actually, you saying that is sexist. You're saying that you shouldn't have got out to that person because of their gender. Mm-hmm. And then when people go, oh, come on, you're taking it too seriously, you say, well... That's why I was interested in asking you about kind of obstacles that are in place. You two are good examples of people who've obviously approached it really positively and have not let that kind of thing get in the way of it. But I do wonder whether there might have... I'm sure there's people who have been put off playing what would be have been considered male games because that kind of thing. And maybe people would... Maybe from... I don't know, and I wouldn't know this because I'm not a girl. Uh, from From a female perspective, would there ever have been anything that perhaps... You know, people at school or so on might have might have projected onto you and saying, "Well, you're playing like a boys' sport. Does that make you less feminine? Anything like that?" Well, I remember once going into school and that evening I had all, all my hair cut off. So I went into school and everyone's like, "Does that mean you're a lesbian now?" And I was like, "Just because I've cut my hair off and I play cricket doesn't mean to say that 
you know, you're gay or whatever. So there was that aspect of it. But I think that's, like, our generation. Because the yeah. nice thing for me is I went down to my local Greek club the other day and we were doing an opening of the Nets or whatever and um, the older lads were playing in the Nets, all these boys from the age of, like, four to, like, 14, and there was, like, six or seven girls there just joining in and yeah. it was absolutely fine. There was nothing about it, whereas in the past everyone would be like, oh, you've got a backlash, you're a girl. And it was, they were mm. just all... They were fine, they were getting on and that's a really nice thing to see these days. I yeah. think it does help having that support from like I've got a real close knit group of friends from school and they they love the fact that I play cricket. Um, I don't know what I do, but whenever I go on a night out, I'll never tell anyone. If someone asks me what I do for a living, I'll never say that I play cricket, and I don't know why. Um, I think maybe just having to explain how you got into it and mm-hmm. all that. But they always tell everyone that they know that I play for England, and it's like they're super proud of it. So I think if you've got that support from your friends, I think that can really help you as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny that because. Say when I was at university, I'd pretend that I do something like that. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Um, I think that um, what we've seen that in this really short space of time since I'd say since the women's super league's been been founded um, is that especially with local cricket, which with opening up we get the contact with quite well, that people have naturally then started to take an interest in it because. There isn't the equivalent in men's cricket, so it's more progressive in that sense. Um, and I went to the game at, uh, at Liverpool Cricket Club, which I played set apart their rivals, so you know it's difficult to go over the line, but I did it. Um, <laughs> and even though the result didn't go the way of your guys, Kate, uh, you're, you played for the Stars, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, Stars, yeah. Um, People around me, and I was, I've was i seen a bit of women's cricket, um, watched it whenever it's been on the TV and so on, but I was really, really, not surprised, but I was I was really glad to see that people kind of approached it in the same way as they would they're watching any other game of cricket. There wasn't so much of a comment about, oh, you know, that's a good this for a, for a woman or whatever. It was just, this is a good game of cricket, um, you know, without rubbing it in about how good the other team were. There was sort of like, I tell you what, the way that they they fielded the way the team was organised the lengths they bowled was just really 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 uh, good to watch so we've reached this point where women's cricket is is completely on the up and the World Cup wins is extraordinary for that and I suppose you can't get better than a World Cup win for inspiring people to take something up we've seen it in rugby union years ago see it when we do well in Olympic sports and so on but I think there's a real sense that this can be real long, really long term. If you both were to think of a single improvement to to prom, to to, um, to promote women's cricket more, what would you think of? For me, it's the it's the negative press. So when we won the World Cup back in July, there's an article out the next week saying, "But it's women's sport." So for me, it's just getting rid of all of that and just it's not women's sport. It's sport. It's not women's cricket. It's just cricket. So that would be my main thing. But I do think that will change over time because I think we have seen an, a, a real... I've seen a massive shift in the press since um, since we turned professional. There was, you know, it was almost that we would get spoken about in the press when we were doing well. Um, and that was, I remember when we won the Ashes in 2014, the men had lost the Ashes. Mm-hmm. So it was great for the press to be like, well, you know, the, we should send the girls team out to play for the next, like playing the next men's Ashes because they know how to win and things like that. But then when we turned professional, everything kind of got a bit more scrutinised. And that's what, obviously what we wanted. Mm-hmm. And you want the press to be honest, don't you? If something's not good enough that you want them to be able to, like you would in, in men's sport, you don't want them to kind of sugarcoat what you're doing. 
because I mean we work hard we train seven days a week at what we do and we're paid to be good at what we do um but I have seen I think that article that I remember the article you're talking about and I do think that was a real one-off like yeah. I think everything else around that was very positive and you know how far women's cricket had come in such a short space of time and you know we sold out well these guys sold out lords yeah, yeah. in a world cup final i remember getting there to i wasn't in the world cup squad but i was getting there to support them and i had to, i physically had to pinch myself because i couldn't believe what i was seeing and the fact that we had the super league on sky this year that domestic cricket was being televised and people were paying to come and watch domestic cricket for me was just mind-blowing um so but i, th I think what i'm trying to say is that in time as the standard improves, which it will do, because young girls now, like you said, can treat cricket as a career option mm -hmm. from a very young age. So that's only going to improve the standard. So I think as the standard does improve, we're going to get better, more fair press. But I, I do know what you mean. Yeah. I do think you still get a little bit of that women's sport versus men's sport chat. Yeah, and I, I've drawn a parallel between the way women's cricket is treated and how mental health in sporties treatises in that I guess we go back however many years and the article that you've mentioned there Alex would be probably the norm in if the, indeed there was an article if it's mentioned at all and I think if you go back a certain amount of time when you'd have cricket players who would be mentioning problems with mental health you would either have it not mentioned because it'd be covered up because people would say it's embarrassing or it's a, they're ashamed of it or you'd get about that time where Marcus Sheskothic had his, um, his illness, where there was that mixture of some people being supportive, a lot of people in the middle being quite ignorant and not knowing what to say, and then the people who don't need to be mentioned who at the other end who were saying all kinds of judgmental things. Whereas now, if someone did that, it would be kind of news in itself that, that that thing exists, and hopefully we get to the stage where if someone was writing that kind of story, their editor's going to pull them and say, look, People don't want to hear it anymore. People are bored of this kind of stereotypical kind of thing. Because what we were speaking uh, at our, like my club um, a, couple, a year or two ago, and someone said without prompting, I'm talking about uh, wicket-keeping, that Sarah Taylor's the best wicket-keeper in the world. And I was like, oh, yeah, she's brilliant. And this person said, no, I don't mean in women's cricket. I mean, she's the best glove. She's got the best glove work across the sport. And I was like, well, it's actually quite hard to argue with that. And then some people might be going, yeah, but if she played in this or all the rest of it, and you go, well, OK, that's your issue if you want to try and put those things in place. So if we're thinking about, like, I've kind of diverted, but never mind, um, the, there's that crossover between, like I've mentioned, about, about mental health and cricket. Um, I ask this question at a lot of the sessions that we do, and I'm always interested to hear what the people's views are, particularly from like an elite sports person's perspective. What would you put the percentage split between physical and mental in cricket and that can be either within a game in training or just overall in general I remember someone once saying that I guess it's a bit different but someone was saying that like cricket is 80% of a mental sport and I think now that I'm a professional cricketer I think that the percentage has gone up for me I think I struggle more with the mental side than I do with the physical side like I, I remember. See, I'm the opposite. Like I struggle much more with the physical side than the mental side. But do you not think that affects you mentally as well? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. like we all, I always think like when we come back from an international tour, I have to give myself that week to, re, like, kind of almost just have it off to, even if you're just getting away. We always talk about getting away from cricket when you, like, we don't get much downtime now because we are doing something here, there, and everywhere. But 
those little snippets that you get, those weekends, it's get away from cricket, go see family, go see friends who know nothing about the sport. And um, but yeah, it's it's a. I think it's different for every person that you yeah. ask. I think. I mean, it does take its toll. Don't don't get me wrong. It is physically demanding, especially when you're going out. I mean, there's an Ashes summer coming up in Australia, so the weather and mm. and the Test match and we, there's a lot to take into that tour, and so we will have to be physically fit for it. But it, I think, the mental side of it now comes, especially now with the press as well. We've got more of that on our backs because people are aware of women's cricket now, whereas mm. you could go to Australia ten years ago and no one even knew there was an Ashes series. Mm. So what's what's your thinking there, Alex? Then, if you're you're saying that you find the kind of coping with the physical side of it the harder bit. Well, I think that's just because like I've never I've never been to a gym before I was a professional cricketer. I've never done any weights, and over the last twelve months, like I've really had to up my physical state. And those my first weekend of being a professional cricketer, the head coach <laughs> sent me home. I was so stiff, I was just like couldn't even walk. And they was like, just go home. I remember we were rooming together in Loughborough and um, I took Alex under my wing this winter because we're obviously quite, like, I've grown up playing cricket with Al. And um, she she woke up on one of the mornings and she physically couldn't put her sock on. (laughs) You ended up just lying on your bed, didn't you? She just couldn't put her socks on. And that was the the difference from going from non-professional cricket yeah. to professional cricket for her and like that was a real shock to your system wasn't it yeah like I've always loved cricket and like I'm just a bit of a badger like I watch every cricket game that's on the telly like I've been watching the four-day game today at home and like I just love cricket and then as soon as I got a professional cricketer I said to Rob I said I don't think I can do this <laughs> I said I think it's too hard and he's like it'll get easier and it does get easier but then at the same time it doesn't because your sessions get harder mm-hmm. and then so it's only like we've been to the gym yesterday and today and I'm stiff again and I'm like oh god it started again again. (laughs) right yeah no that's something that people don't consider do they that you'd imagine people are just kind of like off the peg like yeah straight into it you're able to just bowl all these overs off the reel and then recover ready for the next day but I guess I mean not always trying to bring it back to I think the physical and mental bit just cross over so much don't they so you'd find I'd imagine that the people who maybe find the the physical stuff I remember reading about um, Richie McCaw, the All Black, who was saying that he hated the gym. He just like he just couldn't be bothered doing the weights and so on. But he had to find within within him somewhere that he knows he needs to do that because otherwise, when he goes into tackles, it's not going to work the same way. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, um, go on, sorry, Kate. Yeah. That's something I can really relate to because I have to work. I mean, I think you do have people who have difficult like physical levels, and I have to work really hard to stay fit so I have this constant battle with the gym and with fitness and I know I have to do it because it's now my job um but I know that if I don't do well in fitness testing I know that that can jeopardize me Mm. so I I have that constant battle and I struggle every time fitness fitness testing comes around I have these anxiety levels through the roof because I'm so scared of failing at them when you put so much hard work into it so but then I, I don't know like you'd have to ask someone who is naturally very fit, whether they then don't, you know, if if that mental mm. struggle is mm. less for them because they don't have to worry about the fit, fitness side of it. I, d- I don't know, because I've... Funny you should ask, I've got a resting heart rate of 58. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Um, I, and I think that that really gives an, an insight to how the two just collide, don't they? That yeah. you have got anxiety about the physical side of it and however, you know, poor Alex is there not able to put her socks on, can't tie her shoelaces or whatever because of that. That 
over long the long term would be something that would be quite quite bad, wouldn't it? But I guess yeah. without like making you blush, I suppose that's probably one of the reasons why you're a professional cricketer is because you're able to adapt and say, well, look, this is difficult to begin with, but then you move on from that. I sort of know the answer to this next question because I'm familiar with someone who does work with, with, with you guys on this side of it, but how much attention is paid to the, the mental side? So if, if Kate's saying kind of like 80% or we're, we're giving a strong figure to mentality in sport and in cricket, all that physical stuff we're saying, you know, seven days a week, everything all over the Instagram and so on's in the gym, hating it or loving it, whatever it is... The mental side of things can quite easily be just left up to you. So, how much attention is paid to that at a, at a kind of elite level? I think it's all individual based, isn't it? So, certain people spend more time on the mental side than other people. So, for me, like, not really spend any time on it. And if I'm having a bad day, I'm like, it's my job, I need to crack on. I'm quite good at like just switching myself off on and off. But other people, you know, have to spend quite a lot of time on the mental side of cricket. I think you can see from the success that the England girls had this summer, this this last 12 months that we've had it is we've had um, a psychologist work with us quite regularly. We've had not Mike yeah. Rotherham has come over and worked. I know he used to work with the men's um, side of the England team, but he's come and worked with us quite consistently and on individual basis as well. And it's probably the first time that we've had that regular contact with a psych. And when Mark Robinson first came into the squad, one of the things that he notably said was that we needed to get fitter and that we needed to learn how to deal with pressure because we'd get to World Cup finals and we'd never win games. Like we hadn't won a, I don't, when was it the last time we won a World Cup? 2009. Nearly 10 years that we'd gone without winning an ICC trophy. But we were getting to the final stages, mm-hmm. but it was just that final bit of pressure that we weren't dealing with. So we've, um, as a team, everyone has like really worked hard at, at, at working under pressure and putting ourselves into more difficult circumstances so that when you get to Lords in a packed out World Cup final and you need seven wickets to win, it come, you, you find a way of winning. And that, I think, shows how important the mental side of the game is. And it's not necessarily the tactical mentality of it, it's the actual you as a person, how you deal with things and also knowing your teammates and how they yeah. work under pressure. Heather's so good at that. So she's done a lot of work over the last 12 months of getting to know players. And during that World Cup final, I went to her, I was like, what do I do? We need a wicket, we need a wicket. And I started panicking. She's like, Alex, calm down. We don't need a wicket. She's like, just, just bowl carry on the way you are I was like but we need a wicket to win the game she's like no we don't calm down mm. like and she knows that if I keep things simple then I play well so her getting to know that mental side of me is like it's so helpful and just like probably the best thing that she probably can do and I think you don't I mean you play down the mental side of your game but I think it is really important you mm. know your mental side of it which yeah. I think is really important so you can then relay that to your captain and say look this is when I work my best yeah. if I'm doing this come and tell me to do this or how you know how it works so and I think that is obviously how captains get the best out of the players or good captains do anyway but um yeah I don't think we can play down how much work we've done mentally on the game mm. so and, yeah. it, and it's it's shown we've won they've won a World Cup yeah absolutely that seems to be the trend as well which is which is really good I mean you I think if we go back to that idea of how the media can... I don't want to just bash the media. I should have done this last week, last time with John. But um, there's a lot of this I'd say now. Uh, Mike does a lot of work with within the setup, and the, the counties would have this support and, and so on. It used to be the case that you would have 
stories in in news outlets which would be someone admits to seeing a sports psychologist as if they've admitted to like letting off a fart or something like that <laughs> so now hopefully the, the the discourse and the language moves more towards the positive side of it and saying actually you should be admitting you're not you're not engaging with that and saying actually mm. you need to and and I think Alex's bit there is saying that you maybe don't focus on it that much but having the the sim- knowing that for you say Heather's saying right keep it simple yeah. that having the awareness of that is really important because yeah. some people might be these really complex players and they're like oh you've got to put your arm around them but sometimes you've got to do this you've got to do that but then being self-aware enough to say well I know that I just need things to be kept simple I know this I know that is just as persuasive and perhaps that reminds people that mental health and mental fitness isn't something which you require a degree in psychology for it's a lot of the time you kind of human feelings in the and being yeah. prepared to interact with them so across the 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 game is there anyone that you think stands out as being someone who you think is mentally tough or is durable and exhibits signs of of, of being strong in that respect there's two standout girls for me in the england team um, Heather Knight being number one like you only have to watch her do a fitness test doing the yo-yo which is the endurance test and I think she I mean she'd openly admit that she's not one of the fittest in the team but oh my god when she gets to that yo-yo I've never seen she just shuts her eyes and runs and you can physically see the pain in her face and it's because she's captain and she wants to set that example and she will get to the certain level that she's set herself to get to even if she's not quite like her body's not capable of doing it she'll find a way of doing it and like you physically can see it on her yeah. face when she's doing it she's like swimming through the air with her hands and she's yeah we do that. take the mick out of her because she she does do a bit of a swim when yeah. she gets tired but she gets herself off that line yeah and that like to me that is just mental fitness and she's able to push herself mentally like even when your body's telling you you can't do it she finds a way of doing it um and the other one i'd, I'd say would be Catherine brunt yeah uh, she has overcome some serious setbacks in her career i think she's had three back operations and like three serious back operations and as a fast bowler obviously it's difficult to come back from one let alone three she got told she would never play cricket again yeah and, uh, she's right. one of the best bowlers in yeah. the world I remember it got to a point in with the Australia tour in 2014 where she was making decisions about whether she'd walk again. And, to, I mean, to me, that's not a decision you'd ever have to consider, yeah. but she she has just got that... She's so determined in her own head. Uh, I mean, I'd love to be in, inside it for a day because <laughs> she is a complex girl, but she, yeah, she is, without doubt, like, one, like all the girls look up to her and she is a, she's oldest in the squad and, abs- like, head and shoulders fittest above everyone... And, like I just, I think she's a real role model, and I, I know I'm a fast bowler, so I would always look, naturally look up to her. But I know that all the girls respect everything that she does. Gosh, yeah, well, I didn't know that about her. Yeah, um, so the, it's kind of, I was going to say, well, what makes them like that? You've explained that really well. Um, I think the thing which we always try and say with the, the, the project, and, and when people are talking about like the physical side of the game or the mental side of the game. You wouldn't require necessarily um, someone with all their coaching badges to be able to give you a couple of tips about where you're doing something wrong with your batting or your fielding. So just the same as someone like Catherine Brunt, if people are going, well, actually, she looks like she's durable, she's ready to do that. Try and take some, not necessarily tips off her, because you're not going to perhaps borrow her personal experience, but that's easy enough to observe, like you're saying, where you look up to someone. Um, it shouldn't be too much for players to then to be able to say, well, actually... I'll, 
some of the things that they exhibit they're in that inspiration a little bit as well um i suppose a little bit of a of a turn here as we move towards the end um I'd had a really interesting chat with someone at uh, Warrington Wolves a few weeks ago when we were talking about different programmes that operate in sports and we're hoping to do a little bit of work with them on our new mind and body sessions. And he was talking about some of the player advocates that they have and we were sort of swapping swapping stories, not like anything rude or anything like that, just <laughs> like, oh, he's a bastard, or whatever. Um, pardon my French. Um, so if we're talking about... Um, we were talking about those players, sorry, and... This guy was saying, which really made, which piqued my interest, was that in, say, other areas of life, like my jobs as a teacher, we talk a lot about work-life balance and would say, well, actually, you know, sometimes you need to put the pen down and do, and you know, switch off. And he said, sometimes for professional sports people, it can be that the work-life balance is maybe skewed a little bit too far the other way. So not to say that people are sat on the bum all day not doing anything, far from it, but it might be that your time at work, in quotes, is shorter, but there's so much more pressure on that short bit and then you get more time off, which could perhaps be time to reflect and mull it over when, say, my day job, if something doesn't work on uh, Tuesday afternoon, well, I'm in on Wednesday morning and I can try and do that lesson again differently or deal with that student and so on. So how do you find that your work-life balance works? Um... Cricket is my life, to be fair. So I get home, my boyfriend plays cricket, so he's also playing cricket, he gets home. But um, I think it's it's quite easy. Like, you can just, you can just, you can switch off, but there are times where where you don't. So you come home from a game and you think, oh, I could have done that, we would have won, or, oh, wasn't that amazing that we did that? And you want to tell everybody. And it, it can be quite tough at times, can't it? Yeah. Um, I think I'm, like, almost the other way with... I'd probably disagree with you. I find it quite difficult to switch off, and I always when some I get it from um, my roommate. Not not so much all the time, but like she'll come home from work. She works at a hospital. She's a dietitian, and she's like, "Oh, what have you done today?" And I'm like, oh, "I've been to the gym and I've done a speed session, which what takes two hours up of the day." And she's like, oh, "What else? What else have you done?" <laughs> and I'm a bit. I almost feel like I have to justify how much I do during the day because I pr- play professional sport. Um, but I think we what I mean the dif- the difficulty I've always found is that being a professional athlete is that you can't ever switch off from what you do. Every meal that you eat, every you know, every night's sleep that you get. I mean, we get told you need to be having eight to nine hours sleep. Every bad night that you have, every night out that you have, where you're not getting that sleep and you're not eating or drinking as well as you should do, you kind of can be yeah, quizzed that, about yeah, it. That's so true. Um, I, I, there's been so many times when I've been on a night out and someone goes, "You're not an athlete." Or if like you found eating a pudding for once mm-hmm. in the week or something, yeah, should you that should that? you be eating that? Yeah. <laughs> and so I find that there's that, that constant pressure to be the best athlete you can be. Yeah, you do feel guilty sometimes if you if you miss a session or like this morning we did our session at half nine in the morning. And I've sat around doing nothing all day and I feel guilty that I've spent five hours sat on my bum. Yeah. So I do like I do I think there is I can see where people come from because then you see people go to work and do nine to five mm-hmm. jobs and my housemate comes back and she's absolutely shattered at the end of the day and she still finds time to go to the gym and like I really admire her for that because I wouldn't be able to do it but um yeah I do think that you have to have a good work life balance to be successful at your sport and that goes with mental health as well I know when I've been almost too anal with my training and my diet and my sleep that's when I've been sometimes the unhappiest I've been and I've had to have to be but I think that's why so me and Alex train quite a lot together and we have quite a good 
you like Alex makes me realize why I play the sport again because of that you can see that enjoyment that she has and that love for the game and that has come back to me in the last 12 months when I've been training with her because she's reminded me like actually why you started playing cricket in the garden when you were a kid and you just you, have to make me run faster and yeah <laughs> so I make her work hard but yeah. she makes me enjoy it so it's a real night we've got a real night like that's why yeah. I think our personalities are different but they really work well with each other when we need to so it's worked out quite well isn't it yeah that's good yeah because I'd imagine that yeah, you hear stories about perhaps when players are coming back from an injury and their training's done in isolation, and that must be so demoralising, the slow progress. And then I suppose when you get to be training with other people and in the group environment, that makes a big difference. Um, just before we finish, um, a lot of people, who, well, hopefully a lot of people will listen to this, but um, most people who will access this will do so through a social media outlet of some sort, whether it be Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. Um, both of you are prolific users of the mediums, <laughs> I think it's fair to say. Um, but and we had a little chat before we recorded this about about social media and the, and the, the pros and the cons of it. Um, quite an open-ended question to finish with. How would you say social media affects you, for good or for bad? There's two sides of it. So obviously there's the good side. I really like it and I really like the fact that, you know, thousands of people want to know what I'm doing and they support me. But then you've also got the small percentage that just want to abuse you or just want to put you down all the time. So there are times in my career where I've had to come off social media. So after my debut, I'd had people tweet saying, this is why she's never played before. She's a pile of crap or whatever. And um but then there's other times where it's like, oh, you fought so hard, you deserve to be there. So there is pros and cons of it. Um, I think in the women's side of it, you, it's very different to what I imagine a lot of the men, certainly the high prolific sports, like male sportsmen get. I dread to think what like yeah. the likes of Wayne Rooney has to mm. deal with on a day-to-day basis. I honestly don't know why like people of that quality have social media because it, I just couldn't. Like sometimes you go on the replies that he's t- he must turn all his notifications yeah, off have. because there is no way that he can't read what he reads and still want to go out and do what he does and um, I think we're lucky in that sense playing female being females because he, like I went back like going back to that talking about the press that you don't always get people hounding you yeah. it's we have always been on social media to, provo- to promote the sport because no one else used to do it for us so we had to kind of promote ourselves and promote the sport. Um, so that's why we've always been really encouraged to use it. And um, I know that we often get praised because very differently to the men, obviously, because we don't have as big a following, but we kind of like talk to people a lot. We've been found to be a bit more, I can't think what the word was used, but um, accessible. We were a bit, the girls' side of the cricket game were a bit more accessible and we used to do chance to shine and go into schools and go coach kids and stuff like that. And we always got praised for that. Um but I do think that that will, will change as, mm. as the game grows. There are some like men out there that tweet, and I just laugh at it. So I put a tweet out the other day about how proud I was to play cricket, and he just replied saying, get back in the kitchen. And it, it makes me laugh. I think it's funny. I'm like, why why waste your time doing that? Mm. But he's, I don't know whether he was being yeah. serious, making a joke, but I laugh it off. I just think... Uh, it's a small so minority sad. of that now. and like, yeah. you do, like We find it funny because it's just so pathetic. It's like the, the simplest of all the remarks that you could possibly... <laughs> like. I'm almost sat there going, actually, come back with something better that you know is a challenge, like, yeah. that's a bit... You've had to work for yeah. it. That's just an easy joke, isn't it? And But I, you do see a lot less of that now. But quite like, often, like I've seen on your social media, you've quoted somebody's tweet that they've abused her for, and she's 
put a little joke back yeah. and everybody's then like, yes, Oh, that's hey. the best That's the best yeah. bit of social media. If someone abuses you, you quote tweet it and send it out and then all your followers will hound this person. Yeah. So it's brilliant. <laughs> that, that, your yeah. fans are the best for that. I'm thinking of one in particular about, what was it, Chainsaw or something? A, yeah. Oh, a Sand Blaster. Yeah. 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 Um, so I suppose, the, yeah, <laughs> that, that's the, the way of getting yeah. back to people, isn't it? Um, okay, well, it's been great to have both of you here to, to talk about it. What would I'll do is I'll put this out, well, when people hearing it i've obviously put it out um <laughs> <laughs> so there we go you listen to this um but thanks very much uh and pick us up next time thanks very much